Hello, friends. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Kenton. This is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. What are you doing? You sound like the cookie monster. Oh, what yeah, are, What almost. are you eating? You're not eating a cookie. I can see because it's green. Oh, no. It's a spring roll. A spring roll? Yeah. Spring roll? I don't get it. Spring rolls are clear and you can see the vegetables inside. Oh, no, no. Spring, as in spring has sprung and little green things are coming up from the ground and you collect oh, all the little green things huh. and you wrap them in other green things. Okay, what do you have in your spring roll? Oh, I've got dandelion... And I wrapped it all in a leaf because that's my outside. And so there's dandelion and there's spring beauty. Ooh. And there's a little bit of Virginia water leaf in here. What about nettle? Uh, yeah, there's a little nettle the, too. Wood yeah. nettle. Wood, ooh, wood, wood nettle's nettle. the best. Oh, yeah. Wow, a spring roll. That's, that's kind of a complicated. I mean, if I'm going to go out, I just kind of nibble here and there. Or I guess I intentionally gather one thing. You've got this gourmet spring roll thing going on here <laughs> well kind of gourmet raw you know just sitting in the woods kind of thing but oh raw is all the rage that's totally gourmet. that's true that's true yeah you know with our 100 percent project i thought we should be doing more foraging this year and of course encouraging other people to do more foraging oh i couldn't agree more but i worried a little bit about this is complicated, kind of. And then you get people who are really complicated. What about if I don't know anything? Yeah. And, of course, this happens to me every year. By the end of the year, it's because of winter. At the <laughs> end of the year, I know so many wild edibles and I can identify so many plants. But in the spring, I feel like a spring chicken. Yeah. I have really no clue about anything. You know, so what do you do? So many green things out here. It's a lifelong learning process to really kind of get in touch with all these different green and not just green but colorful yummy things oh my gosh i'm thinking of beautiful lobster mushrooms later oh, in the season they're wow. such a color they stain your butter that oh anyway my Blackberries. gosh oh yeah there oh. are so many yummy things there's so many yummy things and the wilds are just filled with all this super nutritious super delicious food that most of us well a lot of people don't even know about Okay, so then we've got to talk about this. How do you get started? How do you forage? How do you have your first wild food? And how to do it responsibly? What are some tips and tricks? So where to start? It's really confusing. Especially because there's this cultural idea that... There are a lot of cultural ideas. Can you be more specific? Well, this one has to do with wild foods. And a lot of parents oh, are out there teaching their kids that wild foods are going to kill you. If you put anything from the wild in your mouth, you will die. You will die. Right. I remember. This kind of goes for snakes and spiders too. Like, Don't touch them. They'll kill you. It does. Which I can understand. There are some places on the planet where that is viable. And there are some places we even have plants here that are toxic. But kids can learn. Our little girls knew hardly before they could even talk which ones you could eat. Yeah, I remember getting in trouble when I came back from my three months in the woods and I learned some wild edibles at the school I was at. And I went to a relative's house and there were, you know, a 
about Mirabelle and Liliana's age. Their kids were probably five, six, seven, eight, yeah, nine. eight. And I took them in back. I was showing them wood sorrel. Oh, wood Unmistakable. Sorrel. So easy. And said relative came out and just laid into me. Oh, my gosh. I, I won't not, ask here which relative uh, no. that was. Do not do this because our child will get poisoned. And that mm. shows the fear. A, of course, not trusting a child to be able to distinguish something. And also this fear of nature and wow. this fear of these foods that are all around us. When the truth is we probably have a lot more to fear from the food in the grocery mart. Didn't we have some episode recently about Big Macs and how we needed to fear those? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you can look that up. It's in the past. Uh, so what I want to say is this talk about foraging. Let's just do this like foraging 101 here. Not every green thing or thing you find in nature is going to kill you. And in fact, a lot of them are very, very nutritious, more so than our wild foods. But it's easy because there's a lot of them you can start with that have no dangerous lookalikes and are super familiar. They're all over the place. I feel like foraging connects us and that it makes the forest and the fields familiar. And suddenly you walk out and you're like, oh, look, there's oh, a dandelion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I can eat that too. There's a purslane. And it starts to feel as though you really know your environment. Yeah. There are all those practical benefits of eating the wild things, but you're touching on one that's so important and less tangible, but maybe the most powerful is that it creates an intimacy with nature. You know, you should share hmm. your first wild edible story. What was the first wild thing you ever ate? Oh my gosh, that I probably couldn't actually say because who knows what I got fed when I was little. But I do remember eating purple violet flowers and thinking it was the most amazing thing in the mm. world that you could eat a flower. It's when I was pretty young and I, I can't remember, I think someone had talked about candied violets and I said candied violets, I mean the flowers and they said, yeah, you can eat the flowers and violets. so of course oh, they're so pretty and you can eat them. <laughs> so I think my first one was birch sap. Birch sap? Behind our house there was this little grove of birch trees and my brother and I had never even heard of it. We didn't know it. I think we were being bad little boys and poking holes in trees or something. And then we saw this sap draining out and we started sucking on it like our girls do with the maple sap tops. Yeah. And oh, it was so good. And we collected it and drank it and it was so fun. Oh my gosh, can you imagine what a discovery? Yeah. Wow, first wild edible. And then there's so many after that, but there's easy ones. Well, if you out there have not had a wild edible yet or you don't have any foraging in your life what would be a good one to start with well, okay the first one that comes to mind is dandelion is dandelion yeah i can see that because it has a little bit of something for everybody now the disadvantage of dandelion is that it's kind of bitter it is although the flowers if you take off that bottom part where they connect to the stem yeah and you just literally have the little petals and such yeah that's not bad at all. That's not bitter. It's pretty sweet. You can yeah. sprinkle that over a salad for some color, or you can just eat it. And some people suck do on dandelion it. fritters. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, there's lots you can do with it. I used to, oh my gosh, was it with Liliana? When I was pregnant with Liliana, I had to have dandelion, roasted dandelion root tea all oh, I the remember. time. Yeah. All the time. And you went out into our friend's garden and dug me some beautiful dandelion roots that you scrubbed and scrubbed forever and then we roasted them. That was the best dandelion, roasted dandelion tea I've ever had. It's like a candy. The kids love it. So you take that dandelion root 
and then you cut it up into little pieces. I think we use the side of a knife to take the scrape outer, it off. scrape it off a little bit. Cut it up into little pieces. Oh, I don't know how to say how big those were. They're just little just nuggets. Little nuggets. They're cute. And then roast them just like coffee to your desire. You can have them really light roasted, so they're still a little bit chewy. Mm-hmm. Or you can get them pretty dark. And crunchy. And get it just right, oh. yeah, they're that It's almost as though they're mouth. caramelized or something. Yeah. Okay, wow, I can't wait till dandelions are everywhere. <laughs> well, you taught me how to make dandelion wine. Do you remember? That was one of the first things we did that together was make dandelion was. wine. Way but of course, when. there's also the leaves, which if you're a person who likes a little bitter, get the leaves in the spring when they're just coming up and they're young and tender. They are not too bad. They are not too bad. Now, some people like the bitter. I've seen people just pick the whole plant and they eat the stem, which is really kind of bitter. Yeah, because it's got that little latexy stuff yeah. in there. Filled with all kinds of incredible nutrients. Dandelions are super, super healthful. With all these bitter things, you can steam them down or boil them down. Oh, right, down. like change the water, etc. Cetera, et no, cetera. no, just oh, no. put it in a steamer and steam it for five Ten minutes. We feel like that takes it. Most of that's the bitters true. gone. That's true, because that happens when we make horta. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really reduces the bitter flavor. And of course, those greens can be thrown just into a salad. If you throw a couple in there, it's going to add just a little bitter and a lot of nutrition and good mm. flavor. Or you can put them into a soup or stew, and you're going to get great nutrition, but you won't even taste it. And you can stain your chin yellow with it. That's right. Or your <laughs> Did tip, you ever do that? Tip of your nose or your cheeks. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so great. So dandelion, and this is dandelion is just one example of many plants out the out there that are very safe and easy and grow everywhere. You know, grow everywhere because a lot of these are weeds. Yes. That word weed. Mm-hmm. Now, there's actually no such thing as a Oh, there's that that tea that we get and it has a little saying on it and it's how do I don't remember who said it but it goes the only difference between a flower and a weed is a perspective yeah and that's it so many of these things that are growing in our yards these are quote weeds that are actually foods oh think of lamb's quarter oh yeah that grows everywhere and that's just so yummy I did a program once for a bunch of uh, conventional farmers and they wanted to learn some of the wild edibles in their fields and in the forests nearby them. At the end of that program, one of those farmers, he looked at me and he said, this is crazy, Cadden. I've been applying herbicides my whole life to kill off all of these plants that are actually edibles that my family could have been eating. Yeah. And when those weeds are in there, if, they're, if it's all done in a kind of manageable way, it actually would add to the soil and, and change how modern agriculture looks. But we're busy monocropping everything. And well, that, well. And some of these plants are great. I think of just kind of the ground covers. I call it gill over the ground. People call it creeping Charlie. Mm. That I've almost always left in my gardens along with purslane because they really don't steal too much from the plants, but they keep all the other weeds out and you can eat them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. These, quote, weeds are amazing plants. And the more we get connected with them and get to know them, you're going to find that just in your yard, probably, there's a whole (laughs) bounty of food, not just plants, but mushrooms and all kinds of little growing. There might be berries in your yard or roots. Okay, so we know a lot about wild edibles in our area. That's going to change for us when we go to Hawaii to do the 100% project. Brand new. Very exciting. (laughs) But... 
that same sense of newness that we have. Many of you listeners out there might have too. How do you learn? How do you get to find out when we're not living in your backyard so we can't just walk over and show you? What can you do? How can you learn to identify some of the wild edibles near you? Today, there's so many resources. There's some great websites. I'm thinking of Eat the Weeds, Green Dean. He has so many wild edibles listed on there from all over the United States. And that means that a lot of those are from Europe and Russia and Asia. There's Sunny Savage, who she's actually done stuff all over the place, but she's specializing in Hawaii right now. Samuel Thayer, he kind of is focused, I feel like, his books on the Midwest of the mm-hmm. United States. Although his most recent one had a whole bunch of different It did, options. yeah. And he covers a lot of, of, quote, weeds that are from the old world or from Europe. Yeah. So there's these great resources that you can look up. And we will put links to those on the podcast, this episode page, if you go there. Our Webs- oh, our videos. We, the Rewild University YouTube channel. Yeah. We have done some spotlights on different wild edibles. There's yeah. some sumac lemonade and pineapple weed tea and things <laughs> like that. Fun things to do with those. And there's this new app I heard about, Seek. And it's actually just an overall naturalist app where you can point your phone at a bird or at a plant and it's going to help you to ID that plant. But if you can ID that plant, then you can go back, for instance, to eattheweeds.com and you can learn, hey, is this an edible and how do I use it? Oh, okay. I have a question. A while ago, you could do this reverse image search on Google mm-hmm. and you can put in a picture that you've taken of something. I've never tried it have with you? a plant. I don't know if yeah. that's possible or not. It might work. I'm not, I don't know. Okay. That's a really good question. It can be so much fun to try to ID plants. Now, with these weeds that we're talking about, we do have to be a little bit careful. Not because they're poisonous. Right, but because we're poisonous as human beings. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You do not want to collect your wild foods from a lawn that has just been sprayed. You do have to watch out for those herbicides. Even right next to roadways, you want to be a little bit careful of pollution and, again, intentional poisons that we humans have put onto these plants. If you're careful about that, if it's your own yard or you talk to the landowner or you talk to the park manager, then you're good to go and go crazy. Start IDing them. Start eating them up. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So let's say I'm I'm getting into this. I've got some IDs on hand. I want to get out there. What are just some of the basics of foraging? So you know nothing about it. What what do what do you do? Where do you start? How do you do this? Well, gosh, I think one of the first things to remember right from the beginning is you drive up to the <laughs> Wild Foods drive-through and you place your order. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm thinking of Sam Thayer, and he, Sam Thayer, you are awesome. Oh my gosh, he's taught us so much about wild foods. I'm <laughs> probably not going to quote him correctly, but. He says in one of his books, dirt is not a wild edible. This is true. When you're collecting these wild things, usually there's going to be some dirt on them. Not all the time. But if you're going to be eating something for the first time or you're going to take a wild food back and say, hey, family, I foraged for the oh, first yeah. time. Especially if you're going to try to win somebody over. Right. You Do want to not have their first bite filled with sand or dirt. <laughs> That's just not fun. Now, some things are worth the dirt. <gasps> 
Oh, loon. Loon. <laughs> Take morels, for example, or some mushrooms that are so good, and it's really hard to get them completely squeaky clean. I am willing to have a little dirt. Right, once in a while. But, again, at the grocery store, as often as not, sometimes you're... Your vegetables, your things are going to have dirt on them too. But that's just one thing to be aware of when you start. And I bring that up first of all because I've seen even experienced foragers, they bring back mushrooms or this or that, and they've just kind of thrown dirty ones on top oh, of yeah. dirty ones. And it takes so much time to clean them that, ugh. So I know. Pick carefully. Yeah. Well, and I have to say, clean. <laughs> if you know that your spot is clean, it's not filled with herbicides or pesticides or whatever, a little dirt never hurt. A little dirt is actually good for us and helps our internal yeah. flora and fauna. Um, so you can't be afraid of dirt, but we're talking about cooking a meal here or having some yummy food that you really want to enjoy and you don't want to get that uh, I think visit I'm to the dentist, sand. right? Yeah, yeah. More than dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there are ways. So, okay, I've got my spot. I'm going out. I'm going to need some equipment. A basket or a bag. I like to, in the summer months or when it's foraging time, always keep a little... There's those little reusable cloth bags you can get for the grocery store. Oh, yeah. Eco bags or whatever they are. I like to keep one or two of those in my pocket or in my pack or they wherever I am. take up no room. Just in case I happen upon not just one mother load, but two or three. Yeah. I like to keep a couple of those. So you want a, a bag or a basket, something that you can put your foraged goods in. And I like to also have one container, whatever that is, again, a basket or a, it could be a different colored bag, that's going to be your ID bag. Because when we're starting out, we're going to find a lot of things, oh yes, I have a positive idea, I know exactly what this is. But then we're going to look and we're going to see, oh, I think this is that. Yeah, was that what I saw in the ID book? Oh, I don't remember and I didn't bring the book with me. I don't know if I should eat it or shouldn't I? And then you collect a specimen and when you get back, you can do a positive ID and say, oh yeah, look, I was right. I've got the hang of this or oh yeah, I don't want to eat this one. Right. <laughs> or whatever it might be. You can equally do that with a phone or a camera. But if you don't want to bring either of those and you want to just be totally wildy, then bring that extra ID bag along. You need a digging stick, at yeah. least for root type things I like so. ground beans. What's a good way to make a digging stick? Boy, all you need is a strong little stick about a foot long. And then I'm going to take a knife and I'm going to... Oh, that's something we should have, a little small sharp yeah, knife with us? a little small okay. sharp knife, especially you know, that's not used so much in our ecosystem, mm -hmm. but in some places, fruits and things have pretty hard yeah. stems and you want that little sharp knife to to cut the things off. Now, if I take that stick and I cut a chisel end onto it, a little flat like shovel a wedge end. kind of? Yep. Uh -huh. Then I've got this stick that's big enough for me to hold with two hands and I can press it down into the dirt. And that's used for digging out any of our rooty type things. Okay, so take the dandelion or even burdock, which has a super, super long taproot kind of thing. What's your technique? Do you, you kind of have to loosen the soil around it? Sort oh. of like, I mean, what are we talking? Digging potatoes, Burdock digging carrots? What can go four feet or more down into the ground. Oh, right. So you need a full-size shovel. And okay, say it's the dandelion root then or something else. Dandelion root, I just dig How down do to get, the side. Okay, down to the side. Yeah, and then sometimes you can kind of wiggle it out into that side. Mm -hmm. So sort made. of as though, for example, we're coming up on wild leek season here, ramps. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Just getting the loose around the cluster so you can free the root with your exactly. hands, kind of. Okay, okay. Yeah. Super. 
Yeah, because often you can break the best parts off. The best parts yeah. are often the deepest. Yeah. So you want to be careful and take your time. Wow, okay, so that's not too much stuff to really have. A basket or a bag or two, a small, sharp knife, and knowing how to make a digging stick, which you could probably find anywhere, unless you're going out into the middle of a field and there's no sticks around, you might want to have your digging stick on hand. Yeah, it's really good to have some ID books or that ID app on your phone because you're going to find new plants. This becomes a passion for most people pretty quickly that you want to ID. And then you can look it up in your book. And what really changed the game for me, okay, Sam Thayer's books did because they really go into depth about mm -hmm. specific plants. But what really changed the game for me was getting an ID book that was based on families. Oh, yeah. What's that one? That's Well, your thing is Thomas Alpel, mm -hmm. and He has uh, Botany in a Day, which is a great book for learning mm -hmm. families. This was actually just a, a Wildflowers of Wisconsin Yeah, book. that's the one, yeah. though. That's really neat, and it's all organized by the family. Yeah. Which I sometimes know. I don't know the family, so I sit through that book and Ugh. I look to try to ID it. But it's neat because then I see, oh, that flower is part of this family. Oh, yeah. And it makes sense. That's a really great one. We should put a link to that, too. Yeah, it's harder to ID that way. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody because you can spend so much time looking through that book. But if you take the time to search them out, you're going to start to understand, either scientifically, if your mind works like that, mm -hmm. or intuitively, what family plants are from and then you're going to be able to look at an unknown plant you're going to say oh i i think that that's uh, that's that's a mustard family. that's a mint that's yeah so that would be kind of the next level up right yeah oh wow well and as you get to know plants one thing i find to be really fun is just each plant has not only its different parts of it that you can eat in different seasons but there's different little tricks and techniques <laughs> yeah. for keeping it clean well, I'm thinking right now I'm thinking of the leeks and how you go out you harvest them and then you strip that very first layer off of the bulb and they're perfectly clean so that they're clean yeah perfectly and a little slice clean. of the roots off and you've got beautiful perfect ramps to take home that you don't even really have to wash necessarily it's fun because all these plants have personalities like that and those little tricks get you more intimate with them so you pick up that leak and it looks really dirty and it's almost magical you just take your hands and that outer sheath is kind mm -hmm. of slimy underneath so it just comes right off, right off and it's pure white it's so beautiful i love that that springtime sunlight coming through the green leaves and you have that handful of pure white leeks with the beautiful green leaves oh so yummy nettles i like that yeah now you have a technique for nettles that you showed me yeah if you take your hands and go down I call it against the grain, but so downward on the plant, it's going to bite you. Oh, if you have ever seen nettle underneath a microscope, Ooh, it's intense. wicked, yeah. super spiky. These little clear, sharp hypodermics basically yeah, that have a poison behind freaky. them and, and it shoots out okay, into your skin. So you don't want to go against the grain, you don't want to go down the stem. But if you if you go upwards, you're going with those needles and you'll get stung not at all or much less and you can pick them without gloves which is so, amazing to people right in the spring it's just the little ones coming up that are tender but you can pick the tops off too oh yeah and in the spring a lot of times especially the wood nettle it doesn't even get its sting for a long time the wood nettle oh if you That's get a chance favorite. and you're a place where you live with wood nettle and regular nettle try them side by side and tell me what you think <laughs> there's so many we won't go over all of them all because there's so many different ones but i think the point is to have fun, to go slow and take your time, 
get outside, enjoy the beautiful spring, summerness. I mean, this is the time to really soak in and get to know those different plants and yeah. just, yeah, have fun. And I think it's also important to talk about going slow Yeah. in the beginning because we're thinking, okay, we're going out to get food and we want to come back with loads and loads of food. But that can put a pressure onto mm -hmm. it. That's for later on when you're a seasoned, you know, seasoned forager and you want to go out and see, okay, how many pounds of this can I bring back? <laughs> and that's fun too. But at first, if you just take your time, you're going to really be able to soak into nature, get to know different plants, and you're going to come back with some yummy, yummy things. And sometimes you might surprise yourself with how much you come back with. Speaking of coming back with a lot, we should talk about being responsible as a forager. No, well, thanks for bringing that up, Becca. Because it's, it's a big thing. I'm thinking of chaga right now, that there's a lot of controversy about it. Chaga was almost unknown probably five, ten years ago. Right. Just to foragers. But now there's chaga drinks, and you've got people going out into the woods and harvesting this stuff. And the price is going up. Mm -hmm. It becomes really seductive. I mean, I could go out right now... And in three hours, I could come back with probably a couple hundred pounds oh, yeah. you of know, chaga easily. You definitely so you know, know where the chaga going. is, right? right? And the temptation of, oh, wow, I could make a bunch of money selling that. But these resources are finite, especially something like chaga that's very, very slow growing. Leeks are another example that people mm -hmm. are concerned with. It can take a long time for leeks to establish themselves. Now, when there's tons of chaga out on those trees, I can go out, I can harvest a little bit. There's, you know, you don't actually need that right. much chaga, so I don't need to come back with gazillions of pounds of it. I can come back with just enough and leave the rest out there to continue growing. When I do that, I'm being kind to nature and I'm also reaping the benefits of being able to have this harvest. Yeah, foraging isn't so much about the conquest of how much can I get, but more of the connection of how can I be really intimate with my food? How can I have some for myself and leave some for the future of the forest or the fields or for other people? Leeks, we've been in places where the leeks grow like grass as far as you can see in the Oh woods. my gosh, there's no way to calculate how many. Yeah, you can't walk through the woods without stepping on them and crushing them. Right. So it's okay there to harvest. Now we've also been in places where you look around and there's oh, three tiny, little leek plants over there. <laughs> tiny, tiny, yeah, only a few. So you have to be wise about the area where you're going and make sure you know that there's enough resources and then just harvest responsibly. And of course, part of doing that is to give back. So spread the seeds, compost the plants, parts that you're not going to use. Really think about how can I continue to help these plants spread and grow. That's a great thing to do. You go out in the summer and you collect all those leek seeds and spread them around and just help them out. Maybe even tuck them in the ground a little bit. Okay, I have to bring up garlic mustard though. Oh, because yeah. Because that's the reverse side. Garlic mustard is an invasive plant. And in some places they really want to get rid of it because it's taking over the woodlands. And I just love that because I can harvest and harvest and have this beautiful, <laughs> delicious garlic mustard. Mm. There's parks. Uh, local parks, state parks, uh, county forests, areas where the authorities are going to want to be getting rid of some of these plants. And you can say, okay, 
is garlic mustard on the target list? And they'll say, yeah, it really, really is. Mm. You say, I'm going to go harvest as much as I can. Where do you know it is? And they'll direct you to where you can go get it. And they're going to be all too happy to have you harvest as much as you can. I should jump back in mm -hmm. about those leeks. Yeah. Remembering that sometimes we think, okay, I'm going to harvest these leeks. And I think, oh, I have to kill the entire plant. But leeks especially, if there's not a lot, I can sustainably take one leaf from this plant, one leaf from this plant, one leaf from this plant. And we should tell people about leek bacon at the end. Oh, we oh. have to tell you about leek bacon. <laughs> then I can come back with these leaves. Maybe I didn't get the bulbs that I was after, but I still have something and I've left the plants intact. Yeah, that's a great point. We don't always have to harvest the entire plant. Uh, responsibly, there was one thing. Oh yes, you were talking about parks and things, but what do you do if you happen to see the most delicious looking wild edible? Let's say it's a chicken of the woods mushroom growing on that log over there and you know it's somebody else's property. Then you have a golden opportunity. And I'm not talking about getting on your ninja outfit that night and sneaking in and stealing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about going up to that person's door, knocking and saying, do you know you have this incredible wild edible mushroom in your yard? Would you be open to me harvesting it? I'm a forager. Or can I tell you how you could use it for yourself? Or maybe we could split it. Mm -hmm. And some people will think you're crazy for eating a mushroom and you're going to go die. And some people will say, get off my land now. And some people will say, really? Wow. Tell yeah. me about it. It might lead to some friendships. You will be spreading knowledge of foraging. It is a wonderful opportunity. So you shouldn't let the fact that something's on private property stop you from connecting with somebody who you could be giving that gift of foraging too. Absolutely. Speaking of giving gifts, I was thinking about wild gardening and how that's sort of a gift to nature of extending I, the plants. I was thinking about that when you were talking about making a sanctuary seeds. for them. Yeah. Yeah. You can take some land. You live on, let's say, an acre of land somewhere and maybe it's just your yard. You can start planting natives there. And there's tons of native edible plants that are going to be incredible. And our friend Darren at wildhomesteading.com. Oh, yeah. He specializes in this. It's a great resource. Go check him out, wildhomesteading.com. And you're going to be learning about oh, all kinds of ways that you can just increase the diversity of plant life in whatever little slice of land you have. That might just be on a window box in a city apartment. That might be your slice of land. You might own 500 acres. And you can do this on a larger scale. But he will have all kinds of stuff to share on how to establish these wonderful wild creatures on your land that also will feed you. And they'll feed the pollinators too. A lot of those plants are really good for the bees. The whole butterflies. ecosystem. Butterflies, yeah. It's right such a thing on. you can feel good about. Speaking of feeling good, let's talk about the nutrition in these puppies. Ooh. Not these puppies, these plants. These plant puppies. <laughs> Some serious stuff here. Really serious stuff. And probably the main reason is because of soils. Mm -hmm. We know that modern agriculture is seriously depleting our soils. <laughs> I did a video once. I went into a farmer's field and showed the soil, and it was literally a gray, dry mm -hmm. dust. The only, quote, nutrition in there comes from the fertilizers, the usually petroleum-based fertilizers that they put into the soil. 
And I walked 20 meters over into the woods and I put my hand down and up comes this deep, dark, lush, lush soil. Mm. The nutrient value in those soils is so different. We can go buy broccoli from the store. It's maybe, it's good for us. It's decent, but it also is coming from probably some seriously depleted soils. Mm. So its nutrient profile may not be quite as amazing as we think. Better than a Big Mac, but not Way perhaps better as than good. A Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps not as good as some of the wild foods that are all around us. Go into the woods, get some stuff that has grown in that deep, rich soil, and the nutrition profile is out of this world. You're going to feel the difference. Oh my goodness, I love thinking about it and how happy everybody is. It's just a win-win-win situation. You know, a fun thing about foraging is that it never ends. You can start with, okay, there's a dandelion. Right. And I've got my first dandelion. and Ooh, it's kind of bitter. Do I like it or not? From that first initial experience all the way to going totally gourmet. I think it's gourmet. Gourmet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> gourmet. Oh, if you have not seen some people out there who are chefs but also foragers and what they can do, let me tell you, it will blow your mind. First person that comes to mind for me is our friend Alan Burgo. Yeah, the, the forager chef. Oh, you go to his website. He's a genius. Scroll down a little bit and you'll see these ridiculously incredible recipes. Do you remember the ice cream? The spruce tip ice cream? Yeah. I will never forget it. It, it wasn't. It. I, I can't describe it. It was creamy and delicious ice cream. And then it had this, it's not mint because spruce isn't mint. It's, I, how can I? It, you'd think spruce ice cream, ah, but it was we, delicate, it was so delicate and subtle, and it made you just want to have more and more, and it built on itself. Oh, it was brilliant. I remember the first bite; I couldn't really taste the spruce. It was, I think, in probably a vanilla underlayer, and then the second bite, oh, I could taste just a hint of the spruce, mm. and it seemed to grow and grow with each bite without ever becoming overpowering. He just he does that, those wild know. edibles right, and he's so passionate about it. I, oh my gosh, hats off to you, Alan. You rock. <laughs> so yeah, check him out. Sunny Savage is doing some great gourmet stuff, and just to learn how to use some of these foods. Again, Sam Thayer's book, he books. <laughs> he really talks about how to use these these food sources, not just what they are, but how do you cook them? Right. And from there, you can go crazy. Beautiful, not just beautiful, but tasty and nutritious. Okay, horta. Horta, yeah, horta. We've talked about horta before, and you gather all these wild greens, you bring them back, steam them lightly, mm -hmm. and then I like to put olive oil, sea salt, maybe a little drizzle of lemon over them. Oh, so yummy. It's this nutritious powerhouse of deliciousness I remember the first time we fed it to our girls. Oh, I loved it. And I still do. Do I? So good. Yes. <laughs> they gobbled it up. I didn't get any. You hardly got any at all. It, it's as though you can actually truly feel. I think our bodies are wiser than we think. You can feel the energy and the vitality and the life uh, coming from them. Leek bacon. Let's give that recipe too. Okay, leek bacon. You get yourself a pan. You've got all kinds of leek You do it in leaves. cast iron. I do it in cast iron. A little bit of olive oil. Well, actually, you know, a, a decent little layer of olive oil down there. 
and you want it to be not too hot. It's got to be hot enough that when you put that leaf in, it's going to start to puff up. And it's just the leaf, not the bulb just or the, the leaf, stem, really. Not just the, the stem, leaf. yeah. Use the stem in the bulb. Use Chop that up or put it in other things. Oh, there's so many things you can do with but it. But some people even discard the leaves, oh. which is the best part I can't even of the whole. Okay. Send your leaves to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you want them to bubble up. And if they're forming those big bubbles, and I usually pop those bubbles, mm -hmm. and then let it sit in there. And getting it just right is a little tough, but I'm going to turn it over at some point. I'm looking for it to be just getting translucent, kind of golden translucent, slightly, yeah, slightly brown. Yeah, they do brown. get kind of a green golden. Green golden. I think it's yeah, important it. to state that you are trying to keep the leaf all flat and intact. It isn't like you're stirring them around no. and sauteing them or anything. It's like each leaf like a strip of bacon and then turning it over and keeping it in that shape. Just Which like can a strip be hard of to bacon. do sometimes, but you get it right. Right, and then when you take it off, you gotta let it cool. Yeah, a little crisp bit. Up. Right, because if you've if done you, it right, if you eat it right away, it's not gonna. It, it won't be. This is like bacon. You have to let it settle a little, and all the oils sort of. There's, I'm sure, a technical word for that, but they get all perfect. You eat it, and if you've got it right, it's gonna be crisp. It's gonna melt in your mouth. It's gonna be sweet onion garlic flavor, mm -hmm. and it's one of those things that. I can make it and I can keep putting it out and I could do it forever. Yeah. And again, I don't get any. Like, like parsnip chips that you do. Parsnip chips. Oh, oh my gosh. Snip chips. Okay, we better stop or we're never going to be done. Can we just say a quick thanks? Of course. Our patrons out there through PayPal and Patreon, this episode and every episode is coming to you because of those people that support our work. Thank you to all of you. We adore you. We are so grateful. Oh, beyond grateful, really. This is just an amazing adventure that we're on here. I'm so glad we get to share it with you. If you want to become a patron and you're ready for that step, just go to our website, rewildu.com, R-E-W-I-L-D-U.com, and scroll down on that first page. There's information on how to become a patron through PayPal or Patreon. Remember, if you go there to rewildu.com and you go to this episode's page, there's going to be a whole bunch of resources on there with links to a lot of the websites we've talked about in this episode. Do I? Do it. It's time for you to unleash your life. This episode's action points. Number one. Forage your first. Okay. Listeners, if you have never eaten a wild plant, especially intentionally, now is the time. Just try it once. And there's some that are really easy to identify and that you probably have in your yard. Maybe one of the best is that wood sorrel I talked about. Mm -hmm. If you look that up online, you get a positive idea, you pop one of those into your mouth, you are going to be very pleasantly surprised by the flavor you encounter. Yeah, slightly sour. It's, oh, great on a salad. Yes. You can put them, a whole bunch of it into a soup and it's going to add a wonderful sour flavor to it. Dandelion's a good one, easy to identify. Try those roots, like we said. Roast them up, try them as a candy, yum. Oh my goodness. Okay, action point number two. So this is a challenge. Yeah, challenge. <laughs> and the challenge to you, this is awesome, this challenge, because it's fit for people that are brand new to foraging, mm -hmm. and it works for you if you are a Sam Thayer of this world, and you know, seemingly every plant out there. <laughs> it does seem like that. The challenge is add one new 
wild edible to your diet each month this summer. Wow, I want to do that. Yeah, we're going to be doing that and more this summer for sure. Okay, action point number three. Eat your wild food outside. <gasps> what a brilliant idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just foraged this and harvested it, maybe prepared it in some delicious way. Eat outside, if al fresco, the, oh, in the beautiful air. If the weather is nice, whether you're doing this solo or with friends or family, introducing them to some wild foods while you're sitting outside it's such a wonderful experience. You're going to get all the benefits of eating those wild things and all the benefits of just being out in nature, which are extreme. Mm. Yes, and as we learned recently, that helps your digestion. It absolutely does. <laughs> oh, and I want to say on a side note that if you're going hiking, think of wild edibles as your little trail snacks. Mm. I think you said it in the beginning, grazing. Nummy them up. Yeah, you don't have to necessarily go out, forage a whole bunch of stuff, come back, make a complicated meal. Just eat on the go. <laughs> All right, what's action point number four? Share those wild foods. Mm. Once you start getting into this, you're probably going to become a little bit passionate about it. And sharing it is fun. People won't believe that you can eat wild things. They might be scared. There will be flavors they've never experienced before. You share it with your friends, with your family. It's a win-win. Oh my gosh, this is just getting me so hungry. Are you going to show me how to make that spring roll? I will show you how to make that spring roll. Absolutely. Can we do leek bacon too? Oh my gosh. Oh, I love leek bacon. So how about horta? Oh, horta. <laughs> Give us horta. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us today. If you do any of these action points and you find something that you want to share, please, by all means, head to the page for this podcast episode and share with us. We want to hear from you. Leave comments there. You can share your expertise, your creativity, your experiences with everybody else. Okay, now we've got to go because there are some little green edibles calling us. Goodbye. Bye.